Good morning. Good morning. You guys out there? There you are. Um, my name's Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, it's awesome to be here with you on this uh, October, I mean May morning out there. Um, many Memorial Day plans thwarted, I'm sure. Um, but uh, I'm sure summer is coming and probably going to be with us um, for, for a while. Um, if you didn't know this, also today is a special day in the church calendar. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Um, so for those of you maybe not as familiar with the, the church calendar, the church calendar just follows um, actually the life of Jesus in two major movements. Um, one at Christmas where we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us and his entrance into our world. And then Easter, um, of course, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is king. And then so Pentecost is the celebration of when the Holy Spirit came uh, in power on the, some of the first believers in Jerusalem. And it says, um, on these ordinary people, these uh, like uneducated Galileans, the Holy Spirit came and uh, they began to speak in the, in the languages of the peoples of the world who were in the city at that time. And on that day, over 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus. And uh, I just think that's a, such a powerful image and story and something for us to rem remember is that God grows his church through his spirit, and it was true then, it's true now. And also, um, we are in the book of James. We're going to continue our teaching series here about wisdom. And uh, in chapter three, and then today in chapter four, uh, one of the main themes is about our words, about how our words are meant to give life to people. And so as we think about Pentecost Sunday, that day that God's spirit came on people. And then because of that, they became megaphones for his gospel truth on that day. And the result of people who were open to God's spirit and whom he spoke his words in a way that people could understand to people who were lost and dying around them, uh, new life was breathed out and, and God added over 3,000 um, to uh, our company in heaven that day. And God's still doing it. And so today we want to continue that thread and we're going to talk about this idea that our words profoundly matter, that our words matter. And if you remember, uh, as we were in chapter three and earlier, earlier in chapter four, um, we talked about this concept that our words build worlds. Our words build worlds. Uh, that there are no such thing as benign words, that you have a limited amount of words in your life and that all of them have the power of life and the power of death and, and that this is God's plan um, to accomplish his mission is us using our words in our relational world to speak the truth of his gospel. And um, so I don't know what your experience has been with words that build worlds, but I wanted to just share a story um, in, in my life uh, today with you of a time that I remember very acutely when uh, words built a very unkind world. Unkind words led to an unkind world for me. And that was in the worst year of my life. And that's saying something, there's been some bad times in my 45 years, um, but my worst year looking back was seventh grade. Um, I mean, some of you might be saying, amen, like uh, 13 years old, that was a terrible year. I've literally told people, you know, I was in the army, I went to combat, I did some hard things. I'd rather go back and be in a war than go back to seventh grade. So if there's any of you who are in middle school or parenting middle schoolers right now, I just want to say, I see you. Um, and it's a tough time. It really is. 
Um, but you know, the place that in that seventh grade year where the words uh, were the harshest, the quickest, where uh, there was no one to stop them uh, from thrashing my, my young 13-year-old heart to shreds, that the place where that happened most acutely uh, was the middle school lunchroom. Anybody remember that place? The middle school lunchroom. It was in public school here at Quail Hollow Middle School, right down the road. Go Falcons, just kidding. I still get the shivers when I drive by there. <laughs> and what I remember about the middle school lunchroom is that it most resembled a prison yard because like this is very like orderly day that you have where your life is pretty controlled and you're in small classes and moving around in a very orderly way driven by bells and then there's lunchtime and lunchtime basically means they're going to release several hundred teenagers into the social wilds on their own recognizance to like have at it socially you're like what could possibly go wrong in this scenario the other thing i remember is the green plastic lunch trays anybody remember those the green plastic trays. I think those, that was like a nationwide purchase. I don't know. Like if you were in public school in the 80s and 90s, you had a, a green plastic lunch tray. And you remember like the first obstacle you had to face in the middle school lunchroom was you had to go through the lunch lady line and you get all kinds of culinary delights. I remember school pizza. That was a crowd favorite. Not real pizza. Not sure what that was, but you had burgers and hot dogs. And then my favorite the chocolate milk in a carton, remember that? Um, and I'd have pictures of lost kids on the, on the back, which is always sad, um, as if uh, the experience wasn't sad enough already. And you'd go through that line, and then the worst part was actually after you got through the line and you paid the lunch, the lunch lady, and then you're standing there and you're looking out at the sea of tables. And I just remember like your eyes are just darting around the room and, and you're just looking for a friendly face or two because it's literally like a tribal wasteland out there, you know, because all the kids are grouped according to, um, you know, different social classes. You have the athletes in one corner, you've got the in crowd, and then you kind of have most people are in some form of an outcast group, you know, where you're like designated according to your particular form of brokenness. You're, you're, you're in a group. And so you're standing there, and you're just looking for a friendly face to go sit down. But no matter where you sat down, what I remember is that the words that flew across those tables um, pierced the young hearts who were sitting there, each trying to discover who they were. You know, the words were, were often harsh, always thoughtless. And I just remember the murmur of gossip and degradation built a world that only confirmed what I already deeply believed, that I was a nobody. You see, what we say about others and what we say to others is profoundly important. And I don't know what your middle school lunchroom story is, but I know each of you has one. You have a place in your story, a place in your life where the harsh and unkind and thoughtless words of others pierced your soul. partially because the words were unkind, but mostly because they just echoed something that you already deeply believed about yourself. And the truth is that some of you may be in age way past middle school, but you're still there. Maybe for you, it's meetings that you have to go to. Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's in your own home. Each of us has stories and places where unkind words have shaped part of our story and confirm the lies that we believe about ourselves, And so we see that words 
do indeed build worlds. And so as Jesus followers, uh, one of the beautiful things is that God invites us uh, to live differently and that he invites us to be a people um, who don't act like 13-year-olds in middle school, but instead to be people uh, who speak words of generosity and love uh, into the lives of broken people all around us. And what I want to look at today is, is actually a deeper concept because it's not just that our words build our worlds around us. It's actually, as James teaches us in these two verses today, that actually our words are also an indication of what's happening in our own hearts. And so today I, wanna, you, I want to invite you to examine your heart as you listen to this today as you think about the places where unkind words were spoken to you, and maybe you begin to think about with growing conviction places in your own life where you are the person speaking words of unkindness against others as well. But the reality is uh, that when we speak, we actually are revealing part of who we are. So our passage starts off, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you're criticizing and judging God's law. First, just a note on criticizing and judging and what it is that we're talking about here this morning. Now, I know in our culture, uh, my 16-year-old daughter often reminds me, you know, I'll tell her something and she says, dad, don't judge, you know, don't judge. Um, and so what we're not talking about here, what James is not talking about is, is right criticism, right? Is, is telling the truth to another person in a way that could be helpful to them. Any of you that have teenagers know this is part of the game, right? Like how do you speak words of truth in a way that resonate and encourage instead of tear down? It's a really difficult thing. But what we're not saying here is that all judgment is bad, uh, that all criticism is bad. The truth is that we all must make moral judgments in our life. We all must make determinations of right and wrong. And in families and in Christian community, we are called to correct one another, right? That we're called to speak the truth in what? In love. And so what James is talking about here is not that we refrain from crit uh, critical comment but that we should not be characterized by a critical and judgmental spirit towards other people. And there's a big difference there. Um, judgment, and I'll just define it this way that we're talking about today, is telling the truth in a way to punish another person. When we tell the truth, but the, the reality is our intention is to punish, right? Instead of call back to life, instead of restoration, we're seeking punishment. And so it's our motive that's in our heart as, as we speak to people that James is talking about today. And he's saying, uh, there is no place in the life of a believer for telling the truth in a way that's meant to punish or tear down or destroy the reputation of, an, an, of another person, no matter how true your words are. And for some of you, that's gonna be deeply convicting today. It was deeply convicting to me as I sat with this this week, because the reality is that there's all, we all have places in our life where we do this, right? Where we say, I'm, I'm speaking the truth, but the reality is we're not speaking the truth in love. We're speaking the truth to be right. We're speaking the truth to tear down. We're speaking the truth to take away someone else's reputation. So the question is, why? Why do we do such things? If we've all experienced the destruction of words 
in our own lives, why in the world would we keep doing it over and over and over again um, to one another? And we're going to look at that today. And James gives us an insight. And basically, we're going to look at uh, when we speak critical and judgmental words, uh, that ought to be an indication that uh, a few different things are going on in our heart. And we're going to look at all three of these. The first thing is, is, is that we, we actually, uh, when we're critical and judgmental in our spirit towards other people, is that we actually don't understand who God is. We don't know who he is. The second thing is that we don't understand who we are. And the third thing is we don't understand our primary responsibility in relationships. And so this is a very practical teaching for you today because at the heart of most of our conflict, right, that's happening in your world right now, in your parenting, in your marriage, at work, with your neighbors, with your friends, wherever conflict's coming up, I guarantee you that uh, there's this dynamic at play of somewhere you are entering in with a judgmental and critical spirit at some level. And it may be overt for some and it may be covert for others, but it's happening because the reality is all of our hearts, right, are prone to stray, are prone to walk away from the truth of who God is and who he's made us to be. So first, when we're critical and judgmental in our spirit towards other, um, this is an indication that we do not understand who God is. And this is what James gets at when he says, if you criticize and judge each other, then you're criticizing and judging God's law. What does he mean? Well, first of all, what is God's law? Well, we know that James is the brother of, of Jesus and that he, because of the letter he's writing is uh, to Christians in the early church, teaching them to live according to the way of Jesus, uh, we have to know that he has in mind not just the Torah, which was the first five books of the Bible that would have, for Jews, been recognized as the law of God, right? But he has in mind something more precise, which is Jesus's interpretation of the law. And if you remember in Matthew's gospel, Jesus, when confronted uh, with this question, what are the law and the prophets all about? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And he's actually echoing something that God had said centuries earlier in Leviticus 19, which is if you want to summarize all the law, right, in the Old Testament that guided the life of a Jewish person, it's love God, love neighbor. Love God, love neighbor. Why? Because this is at the heart of who God is. The scriptures teach us that God's nature, if we want to summarize it in one word, is love, in all of scripture and the entire story and the life of Jesus is pointing to this one reality. So James says that when we have a critical spirit towards one another, that we're not just criticizing mere mortal people in our relational world, but we're actually judging and criticizing God's law. That we are violating the law of love when we do this, right? Think about that for a minute. The most important being in the universe is God, and God describes himself as love. The most important principle about God, the way he operates, the way that he shaped the world, his reason for building the world, the way that he interacts with every human being is this one thing, love. And so when we speak with a critical spirit towards one another, we are in violation of, a, of the core principle of the universe. Friends, when we're in violation of the core principle of the universe— 
Guess what happens? Bad things. Bad things. And the funny thing is many of us think that in criticizing others of, of being the one that's right, of being the one that corrects, right? In our minds, when we're doing these things, we think, you know what? I'm just, I'm making things better, right? Because if people would just act right and do the things that I want them to be done, if I could just shape and order and control my world, then my world would be amazing and you'd all want to live in it, Right? We believe that. I mean, it sounds ludicrous when I say it up here out loud, but the truth is that's the language going on in our hearts and our heads as we're critical and judgmental towards one another in our relationships. And the result is not that we build a better world. And James is saying, when we do this, we're criticizing God's law and things will not go well for us. If we want things to go well for us in our life and our relationships, then we have to do things God's way. Which brings me to my second point, which is um, authority. Authority. That when we're critical and judgmental against other people, what that's revealing is that we have a problem with authority, is that we want to be at the center of our world. We want to be the one that's calling the shots and that we're not comfortable with an authority that says otherwise. But James is very clear that as followers of Jesus, we are not our own, right? Paul, what does he call himself in the scriptures? The translation, we don't like the word that it really says. It says a slave of Christ Jesus. We're not comfortable being slaves and servants. We want to be kings and queens instead. But when... We criticize others. We criticize God's law. And that reveals that we have a deep problem with authority. What it also reveals is that because we have a problem with authority, uh, we also have a second problem of identity. Is that we don't know who we are when we're critical in relationships with other people. It's also an indication that we don't see ourselves correctly. And James gets at this in the text. He says, but your job, your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. You see, friends, as followers of Jesus, life is actually pretty simple for us. It really is. Is that no matter what circumstance that you are, no matter how difficult the people are around you, no matter how toxic the organization or environment is that you're a part of, the law of Jesus says that your, your, your place is just to obey and to love. And that's at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to obey the law. Obey the law of what? Obey the law of love. So our mandate, friends, is to go and to love. And this is who we are. This is who God's designed us to be. You want life to the full you want to experience what it's like to be fully present, fully alive as your true self? Love people. Why? Because that reflects the very nature of God. And when we reject that understanding by putting ourselves at center stage and making our ambitions and our preferences at the center instead of God, then we all, what that reveals is that we don't know who we are, which is a great tragedy because the, the other thing that I want to look at is that uh, when we're critical and judgmental to other people, not only do we not understand authority and we don't understand our own identity, um, is that we don't understand who, who God really is either. And here I want to invite you 
to a little exercise. When you think about God the Father looking at you, okay? God the Father sees you right now. He sees you. That's what the scriptures teach us. He sees you in every moment of your life. There's nothing hidden from him, it says. When God the Father sees you, I want you to look at his face. What does his face look like toward you? You know, the way that you answer that question is profoundly important. And for so many of us, it's tied deeply to our own stories of our own fathers. When you see the Lord looking at you, do you see an angry father who's out to punish you? Do you see an aloof father uninterested in the petty things of your life? Do you see an annoyed father who merely tolerates you? Or do you see God as he is? A majestic, beautiful father who smiles at you and calls you his beloved son, his beloved daughter. Friends, that's the good news. That's the gospel. Is that no matter what you've done, not done, failed to do, because of the finished work of Jesus, the father looks at you and says, he's pleased with you. He loves you. And so in our relationships, when we're critical and judgmental from other people, it's a window into our soul. And what it reveals is that you don't know who God is, that he's a loving father who's righteous and good, who looks at you with kindness and affection. And it also reveals that you don't know who you are when you're critical in your spirit towards other people. Because here's the deal is that hurt people hurt people, but loved people love people. So James invites us into the depths in this passage, and it's not mere behavior modification, just stop being unkind like a bunch of 13-year-olds. Instead, he's saying, remember who you are, that you are the people of God. that you are the one that Jesus loves. Did you know that? Some of you have never believed that because in your own story of brokenness, so many unkind words have been hurled at your heart that you've walled up and you don't know the truth about God and you don't know the truth about yourself, but I want you to hear it today, maybe for the first time that God made you, that he loves you, that he has great purpose for you. You see, when we're critical in our relationships, we, we build a world that's unkind and it doesn't reflect the world that God is building all around us. In the second part of this passage, James says, that God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? I just want to talk for a minute about what does it mean for God to be the judge and for you not to be the judge. You know, the reality is we are bad judges. We're bad judges because our hearts are too frail. Our love is too shallow. 
And we struggle to hold in tension this idea of truth and love in our relationships. We're either so bent on telling the truth that we fail to love, or, or we love to an extent we're not able to tell the truth, but God holds these things together perfectly. And he is the good judge. Let me read you some passages that tell us about God as our judge. Isaiah 33, 22. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. The Lord is a judge who saves, not destroys. Psalm 96, 13. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. You see, God is a righteous and faithful judge. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see, God is a good judge, and you are not. The last reason that we need to avoid critical and judgmental posture in our relationship towards other people is because in that posture, it's impossible to carry out the purpose for which you were made. If I ask you, what's your primary responsibility in the relationships that you have, what would you say? Think about that carefully for a minute. If you're a mom or a dad, what's your primary responsibility to your son or your daughter? If you're a husband or a wife, what is your primary responsibility to your spouse? If you are a friend, what is your primary responsibility to the friends around you? If you're a coworker, a professional person, what's your primary responsibility to the people around you? I don't know what your answer is, but I know that when we're critical and judgmental, we're convinced and, and we're believing a lie that our primary responsibility is to be the one that judges and corrects and makes the world right, one harsh word at a time. But that's not what you were made for. Friends, your primary responsibility is to be an image bearer. That's what the scriptures teach us, that you were made in the image of God what does that mean? That you were made like him, relational, that you were made to love as he has first loved you. And there's this beautiful thing that the, the picture in the Hebrew is actually that you're made to be a little mirror. Think about this for a minute, that your primary responsibility in relationships is that in whatever relationship you're in, that when people see your face, they see the face of the Father. That when people hear your voice, your words, that it echoes the Father's voice. They see your primary responsibility to your kids and your spouse and your friends, your neighbors and your coworkers is to mirror God's face, to echo his voice of kindness and love, that they might see you and hear you and they might be drawn in. And friends, that's the good news. The good news is God loves you. He's made a way for you.
to know him and be restored in relationship to him. And he's called you with great purpose. And your purpose is not to make money. And your purpose isn't to build things in the world. Your purpose is to love the people that are in your life. And so today, I just want to invite us all, myself included, to think about the spaces where we're inclined to be critical and judgmental in our spirit towards other people, where our first reaction is to correct and get our way instead of love and to speak life. And in those places, we should examine our hearts and ask the questions, where is it that we failed to understand who God is? Have we not seen him? He's beautiful and glorious. And if you've seen him, then it's not hard to give him authority. And if you've given him authority and you've seen him, it's not hard to know who you are. And if you know who you are, it's not hard to speak that to other people. And so friends, this isn't behavior modification, this is heart modification. And it's the invitation of discipleship. Proud to be on the journey with you. May we move into our relationships in love with our words. To Christ be the glory. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, uh, we just thank you for the beauty of who you are. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, while we were yet critical and judgmental, while we sit around lunchroom tables destroying each other with our words and our unkindness, Lord, you loved us anyway. And Lord, thank you that because of your great love, we are not destroyed because you are the judge that saves. And Lord, we thank you that you invite us to this redeeming work in every conversation that we have. So Lord, give us courage. Give us bigger hearts. Give us kindness, Lord, that we may speak life to people this day and every day in Christ's name, amen.